Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Well, good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be here with you. We had a, a special time this week, and the reason that you know, the main reason we came down to Cape Town was just to be part of the cluster. As many of you would probably know, you know, this church, this local church, is part of a, a bigger international family. Um, we have called ourselves Church of the Nations, not Church to the Nations, because we're just one of the many churches and one of the many families of churches in the nations. But on Wednesday night we met here, kind, um, kindly at the services of... of um, and Helen and the, and the leadership here, um, and we had about 50 folk who are leaders within Church of the Nations in the Cape Town area, um, and a huge chunk of that f- fall under Andreas, and just want to honor Andreas and Christella for the work they've done over all the years and the way in which they have built you know, a, a cluster within the cluster, if you like, um, and so we have walked together, have known each other also for many years, and just want to honor the work that you do, and just affirm Andreas in his role as an apostolic leader within the body of Christ, and the ministry that he has to several nations, as you know, um, particularly into Cyprus and the United States, Zambia, okay, Zimbabwe, and here. Um, and for you to know that you're part of a, a family that stretches across um, when the, when the sun rises in New Zealand, we have a church in Auckland, and when it sets on the other side, we have churches in the United States, and so uh, it's great to, to have a big family, and you're part of it, and it's wonderful to be here today and to be able to share with you. Um, but I want to share with you, really, you know, that last song says it all as we, as we look to draw close to the Lord and, um, and our hearts to be tethered to Him. I think that's what we were singing I shared on Wednesday evening with the leaders here um, just an experience I had in the last while. And, you know, when one shares, you, the words are live for me and I, and I share from where I'm at at the time. And it, um, and it came out of an experience I had when a very close friend of mine who was actually in the States um, at the time got COVID and then ended up in, uh, in ICU. Uh, and eventually we got the message that he was intubated. Um, and he, he subsequently died. Um, but, but when he got intubated, I, I remember going through to my study at home, uh, and I have a medical background, so I, I was just devastated. Uh, and I went in there, and I just, I just cried out to God. I said, God, what's this all about? And I just felt the Lord said to me, it's not what you think it's all about. And I've been pondering on that ever since, because I'm trying to figure out so what is it all about if it's not about what I think it's about? <laughs> and maybe I'll never know the answer, but I've dwelt a lot on it. And I think it's about the kingdom. I think about, it's about the kingdom. And because it's about the kingdom, it's, a, it's certainly about the king. And I want to focus a little this morning on our relationship with the king. Because we do know him as father, but he's also the king. And, um, and I want to just talk a little bit about his heart towards us as he, I believe, with all of his heart 
wants to have a relationship and walk closely with us. Are we... We're okay? We've got an echo somewhere? No? We're all right? Okay. So, so I think what I want to do this morning is just share with you some of the journey that I've been on. Um, and, and just to try to understand the heart of this king who wants to be with us, that we're reaching out to, to, to want to walk with. And as I think Michael said, if we draw near to him, he said, I'll draw near to you. Because I think deep down in the heart of our Father, who is the King, is His desire to be with us. There's a little known village in Turkey called uh, Bogozkoy. And uh, in the, in the middle, back in the middle of the second millennium, so we're talking around about 1,500 years before Jesus came, it was, it was known as Hattusas. And it was one of the the centers of one of the most powerful nations in the Middle East or the, the Near East at that time. Um, so around about 1500 BC, uh, that's when this town of Hattusis was at its peak. And interestingly enough, the people who were there and the nation that was in power at the time were the Hittites. Now, you'll remember Uriah the Hittite. He was the guy that that uh, David, King David, sent to the forefront because his wife was Bathsheba. So he was a Hittite, but by the time that happened, the Hittites had been dispersed across the world and their whole, uh, you know, their nation had been pretty much devastated. Now, you may be wondering why I've shared with you this incredibly important piece of information this morning. Um, (laughs) But it's a very interesting story because there's, a little, you know, there's this little village, as I said, called Bogoskoy now. And UNESCO, which is the United Nations Educational um, and Scientific and Cultural Organization, in 2001 recorded the fact that in this little town, 25,000 cuneiform tablets were discovered. They were unearthed. Now, I remembered from my social studies back probably in what we used to call Standard 5, um, in grade 7, um, we had social studies. I don't know, I remember learning about the cuneiform tablets in Egypt. But on those tablets were recorded in Bogoskoy, anyway, the ones they found there, the treaties, um, the covenants, if you like, that were made between nations and what the Hittites, who were then the predominant nation of that region, the the treaties that they established with other nations. And the Hittites established a relationship with Egypt. That was one of them. And so it was laid down on those cuneiform tablets, 25,000 of them. So it was a huge discovery. And the the details of those treaties were were laid down there. Now, there was a pattern to the treaties. So if a conquering king, if, in other words, if the Hittites conquered another nation, they would then have the right, and this was well known in the Near East and and in the known world at that time, the, the, the conquering king could demand of the vassal state, the state that he'd now conquered, he could lay down the law and create a covenant with them, and they would have to live under that. And he then, as the king of the conquering nation would dictate to the nation that was defeated. Um, And the the, the ruling king 
came to be known by Near East scholars as the suzerain, the suzerain, who took, he took that authority and he ruled with an iron rod from his palace into that nation that he defeated. And the treaties were known as suzerainty treaties. Now, when Israel, and here's where I come to the story now for us as Christians, when Israel was in Egypt, God got hold of every single... It's amazing to read. If you go through the ten plagues that God sent against Israel, every one of those represents an Egyptian god. And every one of those gods was destroyed and publicly, openly paraded by God as a, as a destroyed God. So when the, when the Lord had finished, Egypt was finished, and God, in every way, in the understanding of the people of the time, was the suzerain. He was the conquering king. But it was very interesting, because when he defeated Egypt, the Lord didn't then make his treaty or his covenant with Egypt. He made it with the Israelites, didn't he? He, was, he conquered them, and then he put into place a covenant which, in their understanding, was completely okay to do, because that was the way it was done. That was what was understood. But he did things completely different in this, that he came to dwell in the midst of his people. Now, that was unheard of in a suzerainty treaty, because although this, this treaty and his relationship with Israel um, was based, and God put in the rules of the oaths and the testimonies and blessings and curses and all of the other things we know that are there in Scripture, and the stipulations and the statutes and all of the commandments were there. But it was based on a relationship between God and His people. And that was the difference, because a suzerain king or a suzerain ruler over a vassal state would never be part of he would put into place the laws and rule it from outside inwards. But God did it differently. When he wrote the treaty on the tablets at Sinai, it replaced in the Ark of the Covenant. Central to that understanding is that God was going to dwell with his people and not rule like other vessel, like other uh, suzerain kings had. Now, in, in that Holy of Holies then, Behind the curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where the Lord said He would dwell and from where He would speak to His people and relate to them. And that was completely different to what was being done elsewhere in the world of that, year, of that time. He, he said He would presence Himself. So, just so everybody's on the same page, if you haven't studied you know, the old tabernacle, it's difficult to conceive of what the, the ark looked like, but it was not as big as that table there. It was probably, you know, I remember look, in my mind thinking it's about this big and about that wide. And inside of there was the ta were the tablets that Moses was given with the commandments and the, the rod of Aaron. But on the outside were these cherubim, two kind of figurines of angels that were placed, one on each side and between them was what the Lord called the mercy seat. And so God ruled the people from the mercy seat. Now that was also completely foreign. 
So not only did he say, I will be in the midst of my people, but he also said, I will speak to you from the mercy seat. It was all about the relationship, which in those days could only take place when outside of, if that was the temple, you know, the whole temple courtyard and here was inside, there was this oblong tent divided into two places. So people would come in from outside, they would sacrifice the oxen or whatever it was, the goats, the sheep, whatever had to be uh, offered as the, the sacrifice. When the blood was shed, ultimately the priest could go into the presence of the Lord because the sin was dealt with. Okay, So you first dealt with the sin, then the priest could go in, and once a year the high priest could go into the inner sanctum, the very inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and he would receive from the Lord you know, as the priest, he would present to God the needs of the people, and the Lord spoke prophetically through him back to the people, and that was the picture. But God was there. Now, here's the amazing thing. When other kings were involved, ruling from their glorious palaces in other kingdoms, they would rule from outside, and they would rule through the law or the covenant which they had established over those people. Just get the picture here. We have now this, this ark that God says, I want to dwell in the midst of my people. That was what the tabernacle was. That was, it was all about God being in the midst of his people. And then he puts the covenant on those tablets inside the ark, and he puts himself between the law, and the people, and rules them with mercy. What a picture. And, and that's, that's his heart. That's his heart. And so he was present with him. And, and so this huge difference between what existed in the world and what God then demonstrated as his desire to be in the midst of his people. Exodus 29, verse 46. Thanks, Giovanni, if we can start putting that up. Uh, Exodus 29, verse 46 is this. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And here's what God wanted. Why? So that I might dwell among them. I'm the Lord their God. Because he wanted to be in the midst of them. Numbers 35, verse 34. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell. For I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. I think deep, deep inside of God, there's a desire to dwell in the midst of His people. And we see that right throughout Scripture. And I think, I think this is the foreshadow. It's the foreshadow of the kingdom of God, which... We understand to be here, but is not yet fully consummated. And when it is, I think the greatest thing about it is going to be that we will be in the presence of the King. And that will fulfill His longing to be with us. Now, this is a major shift in the way treaties were done. As I said, these 25,000 cuneiform tablets that had laid out what was the pattern of the day, God comes right across that and changes it. And it would, it would have been very clear to the people of the day that this was a different pattern. This was a different king. And so, 
He then told them, as I said, to build the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because he wanted to be right there in their midst. And that was the picture of it. So the two major differences were these. Number one, the victorious king dwells in the midst of his people, not ruling from a distance. Okay, that was the first difference. The second difference was he placed himself, as I've said to you, he places himself between the law and the people so that he's not, as those conquering kings were, lording it over them from outside, but he's right in the midst of his people, putting himself between the law and the people and speaking to them from the mercy seat because that's his heart. And as I said, the bottom line of this is because, why? Because he wanted to be with them. And he is God with us, and the pattern of it is there throughout the Scripture. I've just kind of focused on one area this morning, but sadly, over and over and over, as you come from the Old Testament all the way through to the New, mankind messes up over and over again. And he's a righteous and a holy God, and we can't get into his presence except when sin is dealt with. And so the whole tabernacle and the whole later on, the whole temple structure was designed to deal with the sins so they could get to the presence of God. And so we can go right back to the Garden of Eden, and you see there the consequence. Thanks. If we can go to Genesis 3.8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And can you imagine that was God's desire and in the cool of the day, he would go to the Garden of Eden and he would walk. However we understand that, his presence was with man in the Garden of Eden, walking with him. And then the man and his wife hid themselves. Why? Because they messed up. And they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It was his presence in their midst that got destroyed. That, that was one of the saddest things that happened. And you can see it again and again through Scripture. You look at Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel, and he was answerable to the Lord. And it says, Cain, when, when God challenged him, Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment's too great for me to bear. What was it that was too great to bear that you have banished me from the land? Remember, God said, The land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. And he was devastated. It was his sin that came between him and God. And what was the, the consequence, the punishment, if you like, was separation from God and being banished from the land. And the land was where God dwelt. That's what we've read. That was his choice. He wanted to be in the land with the people dwelling with them. Now, it seems very clear throughout Scripture that 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 is so, right? All the way through, God wants to be with us. He wants to be with His people. And, and so, because He's a holy God, and because His presence is holy, and His presence can only be entered into and experienced when sin has been dealt with, that's what it's all been about. It's been constantly, over and over, dealing with the sin, and the tabernacle was there to do that. Now, biblical names are extremely important. You know, it's, it's not a case of what's in a name. The biblical names are very important. And the, and the name that the, that the Hebrews used for, for God, what we now say is Yahweh, there were no vowels in between. So it was never quite clear. And nobody still, I don't think, knows how to correctly pronounce that. And no, we don't know if that is actually the name. 
But Yahweh, the meaning of His divine name, was not spoken by the Jews because they were too afraid to even speak the name of God. We've, we've put in vowels and said it's Yahweh, but it was Y-H-W-H. And this is what at least some scholars think those words meant, or that word meant. It was to become present. Okay? I want you to focus on the presence of God. He comes to dwell. His name actually means that. He's the becoming present one. And a theologian by the name of Jacob Milgram said, the word means I am, will be present. It, that's, that's at the heart of God. That's, that's where, he, where he wants us to understand his heart is. And there may be other thoughts on where the name comes from and so on. I'm not going to argue about that. But the tabernacle, which later became the temple, was the dwelling place for his name. I mean, he was so intimately associated with that. In Deuteronomy 12, verse 11, we read that, you know, that the place that the Lord your God will choose is the one to make his name dwell there. There you shall bring all that I command you. So the temple ultimately in Jerusalem was the place to which God's name was attached. And he, he wanted that built, he wanted the tabernacle to make his name dwell there. So not only that God would dwell there, but that his name would dwell there. Right. So the tabernacle and the temple, which in many ways were, you know, the t temple was obviously a mirror image of the, of the tabernacle. They were carefully designed so that God could focus ultimately on his presence right in the middle of his chosen people. And once the sacrifice had been made in the outer court, then, as I said, then the priest could go in. Now, when he went in, let's just get the picture again. So here's the outer court. It, I mean, can you understand? I mean, they, 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 they sacrificed thousands of animals over the years. I mean, the, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, the blood and the gore must have been unbelievable to deal with the sin. And then we come to the place where the priest now can enter into the presence. And as he goes, every week the priest would go in, not the high priest, but the priest who was serving in the temple at the time, he would go in to the holy place. The holy of holies was where the ark was. But in the holy place, the first one, as he went in on the left-hand side was what we would call today the menorah, but the, the, the candlesticks, but they were oil lamps, seven of them on the left side. And they signified the presence of God because they were light. And those lamps had to burn all the time. And immediately opposite that, on the other side, on the right-hand side, was the table of presence. And it speaks of presence because it's also known as the, the face table or the the showbread that was put on there was known as the face bread because it was where God showed up. It was his face represented by fresh bread. And every week they would bring 12 fresh loaves of bread and put them on the table there, and that was the bread of presence. Now, so you've got to understand this thing is steeped in incredible imagery of God's presence in the light, God's presence represented in the bread. And thousands upon thousands of 
animals, sacrificed outside in order to pay for the, for the sin. Mankind so hopeless over and over and over falling into sin so that eventually they got banished from the land and ended up in Babylon and you know that whole story. And God longing, longing to be with His people. And man making it impossible over and over again. So then He sends His Son. And He came as the sinless Lamb. The faultless Lamb. And so once He was sacrificed and sin was dealt with, everything changed. But, but look at how Isaiah speaks about it. And as we head towards Christmas now, just look what he said. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. This, this some 400, 600 years, whatever it was, 600 years, I think, before Jesus came. That, that's what boggles my mind. You know, there are over 300 prophecies that are fulfilled in Christ, and over 30 of those in the 24 hours before he died. I, that always boggles my mind, that, that this God spoke it out, to, he, longing to make the people right with him so he could be with them. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. So the whole plan was for God to get back with us. And so he, he Jesus, when he comes stands in Jerusalem and cries out, I am the light of the world. Go back into the tabernacle, the light of his presence. I am the bread of life, the fresh bread, the face bread, the show-up bread. He is Jesus, and he longs. He longs to be with us. And when he has paid the price so that the sin is dealt with, because it's always been the sin that separated us from God, when he's paid the price and forever sin is dealt with, John 14, 16 says, he says to the people, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He'll never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. And the world cannot receive him because, he is, because it isn't looking for him. The world's not looking for him. Because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him. And we know him. Because he lives with us now. And he says, and later will be in you. Later will be in you. And we know at Pentecost, obviously was when the fullness of the Holy Spirit came. John 14, 23. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them. And what will happen? And we will come and make our home with each of them. So not only now has God solved the problem which initially was for which the, the tabernacle was initially established so that he could be amidst his people, now God comes and all of those who are washed in the blood have been cleansed and had sin dealt with 
they are free now to come right through, not just into the holy place, but right through into the holy of holies because when Jesus died, that curtain was torn from the top to the bottom and we can go right in. I don't know if you've ever realized what an incredible privilege we have. Do you know that you can go into the Holy of Holies any time of any day? Why would we mess up? I don't know. I've messed up in my life too. Why would we know? Why, we, why would we as the priests of the Most High God, why would we not live in the place where at any moment we can go right into the very heart where God is because he's with us and he said we will come and make our home with each of them because he now dwells in us and we are that tabernacle what a picture what an incredible thing the, the God who is with us the, the forever present king when they went through the desert he was with them when it was hot during the day, he was the cloud that led them. But I have no doubt he was there to protect them from the merciless sun. And at night when in the desert it gets bitterly, it gets bitterly cold, he was there as the fire, the pillar of fire by night to warm them. And, and, and that the warmth of the glow of his presence was there with them. Exodus 33 verse 15. Moses, and, and this is the New Living Translation, but the one I remember, and I pray this every time, and I prayed it this morning. In the old King James, I think it says it this way. It says, Lord, if your presence does not go before us, let us not go up. Let us not go up. The NLT says, Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and, your, and on your people, if you don't go with us, for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. And that is true today. Amen. And we take it lightly because we grew up with it. We don't understand the cost of his presence living in each one of us by the Holy Spirit. What an incredible privilege. And every time I mess up, I can go back and say, His blood, His blood. And God says it's okay because His blood was sufficient for all sin for all time. When you repent, you're welcome in my presence. What a God. What a plan. And we live in the here and now, you know, and we relate so much to everything that's around us and we judge everything on our kind of worldly assessment of how things are and how we perceive the world in which we live, I think, I think somewhere we're missing it. I think somewhere when I cried out to God and said, so what, what's this all about? He said, well, it's not about what you think it's about. I think there's a much bigger picture. Much bigger picture. And we have to get a biblical perspective of life because right now there's another COVID mutation, <laughs> which we all know about. How are we going to get through this one? How did we get through the last one? How did the Israelites get through the desert? The presence Amen. of God. Amen. The presence of God. 
It's enough. And it's enough because in this life, he, he is with us. That's His promise. And His promise is, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And in the life to come, where will we be? In His presence. Amen. Absence from the body, present with the Lord. And we get ourselves all confused. So when my friend died, I knew he was healed. I knew he was well. I knew he was in the presence of the King. And we're sad, but he's rejoicing, and there's no way in the world he'll want to come back. No way. So we should fear nothing. We should fear nothing because his presence is ever with us and will take us through everything, including death. And the Holy Spirit is here now to dwell in each one of us. We are the temple of that Holy Spirit. In Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We won't find the answer elsewhere. We're not going to find what we need. And yes, there's the other side. God does bless us and there is prospering in his presence and in his life and all of those things. But let's not get confused. He wants to be with you. He wants to be with me. He wants to dwell in us. Dallas Willard put it this way when he was talking about Psalm 23. Sorry, the red didn't come up very nicely there, but it just says on the side, therefore, thou art with me. Dallas was commenting on Psalm 23, but he said, the complete sufficiency of the life without lack is based upon the presence of God. And he is most clearly and fully present to us in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. God with us. Psalm 51, verse 11. David's crying out. He says, Do not banish me from your presence and, take, and, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. David lived in many ways in a kind of New Testament life because that, the tabernacle of David didn't have all these restrictions to it. And he was dancing before his king. Psalm 16, 11, he says, he says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. So from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, we see the heart of God reaching out to man to be with him so that his presence could dwell not only with us, but now in us. And just as we wrap it up, I want to go now to the end of Scripture, to Revelation, where picture this current earth and the heaven as we know it are burnt up in the last day. And Jesus is coming in victory to consummate his kingdom and to call his church to himself. However we understand, I, I don't mind if you, whatever you are, a pre-post, whatever pen, whatever thing you are in terms of the end of times, there's going to be a day when Jesus comes back, okay? Let's, let's settle on that, okay? And when he comes back, when he comes back for his bride, when he comes and establishes his kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, which will know no end, 
It's at that point in his presence, in the safe place of being with him forever, secure, total peace, total joy, no sickness, nothing to, to fear. Revelation 21 verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God forever and ever and ever. Until then, until then, we can enter into his presence any time of the day, anywhere we are. I didn't intend to say this. Do you know what? The priests couldn't go into the presence of God if, they'd been, if they were drunk or strong drink or anything. Go and read that up for yourself. But there are things that mar the incredible privilege, incredible privilege, coming into his presence, into the very holy of holies, which you can do in your quiet time. You can do it in the car. You can go in. Why? Because Jesus let you in and tore the curtain, and made a way. And so when we come to this place here, we need to come in the place of repentance, knowing we've dealt with the sin. And the Word says, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because it's the unrighteousness that stops us from getting into God. So when we are in that place, then Acts 3 verse 9, 19 and 20 says this, Peter's talking to the, to the folk there, and he's saying to them, listen, you messed up badly, but repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? So we who come at this point, weary from COVID, weary from all the stuff that's gone on, and facing another lockdown probably because of this new, I don't know, praise, praise God, we can go through this all, whether it's in life or in death, in His presence. Don't take it lightly. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, Come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za